Okay, so this week I will tell you that there's certain weeks that when you're preparing something, a class or whatever it is, you stumble upon something that you feel like is like truly a, not just like a revolutionary idea, but an idea that is extremely apropos to today, okay? So I'm going to read to you, it's about eight psukim, it's very short, it's not as long as it sounds, very short eight psukim that Moshe says in this week's Parsha, and I think even just from the verses, you'll already see where we're going with this, okay? Moshe says like this, this is in chapter 8, verses 11 to 19, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. If you ever forget the Lord your God, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. So Rabbi Lord Dr. Jonathan Sachs took these verses And he made the idea so practical and unbelievable. It actually, like, as I was reading it and then I got so excited, it blew my mind. Because I felt like this idea, sometimes you feel like you have an idea in the back of your mind. You don't have the words for it, you know? I think that was something that he was unbelievable as able to take the words and be able to express and verbalize something that's maybe an idea in someone's mind and put it into actuality. So he says like this, what is Moshe basically saying to us? Why do we need faith in God, Right? which basically is a little bit of a funny, a little bit of a dichotomy. That over here, what this class is going to focus on is how faith in God benefits me. What are the purely selfish benefits of faith in God? Which is a dichotomy, of course, because faith is the idea of submission. Are you saying to yourself, Kabbalat all, submitting to a higher power, saying whatever God says I'm going to do, whether it makes sense to me or not, I'm not only doing the laws that I think are good and I think are moral and make sense to society. I do the laws like kosher that don't make any sense. You know, can't put meat and milk together. Like that's so random. Shotness, you can't put, you know, different materials together. It's just bizarre, but we say God said so, so I do it. So it's submission. But over here, we're going to focus on how faith is an essential and core idea to human civilization. So the first part is the general idea of how faith is important, which is what like this. It says that Moshe is telling us that when you become very successful, when you go into Israel, that is when the test begins. You thought that the whole time we were in the desert for 40 years, that was the test. That now you're in the desert for 40 years and you're gonna be trying to go into Israel. And once you get into Israel, you succeeded, mission accomplished. Now you could sit, you could sit on a lounge chair and you could say, we made it, done, mission accomplished. Moshe is telling them completely the opposite. Moshe is telling them all the 40 years you had in the desert were easy. But when your poverty turns into affluence and when you become a successful person, that is when the challenge begins. Which I'll just tell you this in another idea. The Lubavitcher Rebbe one time said a Hasidic discourse, which was called Va'ata Titzavah. It was the last Hasidic discourse that he gave out actually, which that's why they learned it every year on his yard site on Gimel Tamas, the third of Tamas. He said how he saw with his own eyes how there was Hasidim in Russia, that when they were pressed and when they were being crushed, by the KGB, and they were being interrogated. They would not ever bend and tell on their brother. They would give up their lives. And for Judaism, they would go to extremes, Mesir Nefesh, like you can't imagine. But then they came to America, and they built up their life. They became successful businessmen, amazingly. And all of a sudden, their Judaism waned. 
and you think it's so opposite. It's like, oh, when you're in Russia and you're being persecuted, then, okay, fine. Then your Judaism, you could give an excuse for not being so Jewish, so observant. But then you come to America, for sure you should be observant. And the Rebbe said it was the opposite. You see, and he said this, the Rebbe actually said, I see people that I know and they know who they are, how their Judaism actually went down when they came to America. And this is what Moshe is trying to express to the Jewish people as they're going into Israel. That when you go into Israel and you build up your own land, which by the way, just sitting here in this moment, like sitting in Briga, and we have the view we're talking about outside, and this beautiful neighborhood of Iryamim, specifically I feel like this idea really rings home. Where we're in such a beautiful place, We've made it to a level which I think our grandparents, great-grandparents, great-grandparents, they wouldn't dream of the affluence and the success and the physical wealth of the Jewish people today is probably the greatest that it's been in history, possibly you could say. And that is when the challenge begins. Because what Moshe is telling us is what happens in human nature is that when you become successful, when you thrive, that's when you start to make confusion. That's when you start to think to yourself, maybe it's us that succeeded. Maybe we won the Six-Day War and it was just us. It was just because we had such a good strategy and we won. Most people don't say because it was so miraculous and obvious. But when we start thinking, wow, Israel, we have our own army. So it's not God. It's because we have good technology. It's because of the Iron Dome. It's not Hashem is not part of it. It's because we are very successful. We are very smart. We're able to defend ourselves. When we make that mistake, then we lose everything. And I'm not, what's amazing about this class that Rabbi Sachs said is that a lot of times you could say this idea... But then it's like, okay, you have to like believe me because it's faith. Like, you know, like, oh, you have to believe in Hashem because it's the right thing. What Rabbi Sachs does is he brings practical, real, historical examples of this reality taking place. Two time periods, which humanity, not the Jewish people, humanity was extremely successful and they considered the golden age. There was the time of Greek success and there was the time of the Italian Renaissance. In those two times in history, he pinpointed, there's a man named Bertrand Russell, who pinpointed and said that in these two times you see what made them successful was what led to their downfall. And what's beautiful about history, which I will admit myself, growing up in class, history was always to me the most boring like thing by far. It was always like, okay, we'll just read through it at the end and pass the test. I always liked math, science, English. I always found them to be like useful. History to me was like, okay, why do I need to know about 800 years ago? And over here, I think is a beautiful example of how you just learn about what happened in the past and you can learn to not make the same mistakes in the future. Which, if anything, history has shown us, very sadly, is that we still make the same mistake, but at least we can try. So Bertrand Russell points at how in Greek times and the Italian Renaissance, they became extremely successful. And they became a very powerful country, a dominant empire. It was very, very... And they were beautiful in arts and science and philosophy. They weren't just successful physically, militarily. They were societies that were blossoming. What happened was, is with the success... Eventually, the society decided it's because of our own abilities, not because of any higher power. It's all us. What does that lead to when a person says that? Morals fall apart. Because what does a belief in God say? A belief in God says, this is what you need to do no matter what. You can't sit and debate the morals that it says in the Torah. These are the facts. But when we sit down and we say, oh, it's us that are successful, all of a sudden, all the morals are debatable. And when moral falls apart, when the morals of this is not morals, when the morals and the ethics of the society fall apart and everything becomes debatable, then there's no restraints on society. Then all of a sudden everything collapses because then people say, why do I have to listen to you? I don't need to care about you. I don't need to help you. Everything falls apart. The fabric of society collapses. And that is what happened. Is that even at a time it says that they had this amazing time of genius 
and the philosophy and arts and everything, what it led to inevitably was anarchy, treachery, and everything fell apart from within. So you see today, I think, and let me just be clear, because this class, I'm not communistic in any way, shape or form. I don't believe, I think I very strongly, I mean, I'm from America. I believe people should work to be able to get their success. I'm not saying at all that people shouldn't have money. I think that with our success, maintaining and remembering where it comes from is the key to success. Because I think that this recipe that you see today is exactly what happened hundreds of years ago and it's happening again today. I think we are at that time in history where if you look at America, I grew up in Miami. So I can only say from the American perspective, I can't say from England, South Africa, what's going on over there. But from the American perspective, you see how this is exactly what's going on. America started, and I've actually heard on a side note, not connected to this class, I've heard Rabbi Sachs speak about this in a separate podcast where he was speaking about how America's falling apart. America, when it started, it was the bedrock of America was in God we trust. In God we trust, it's written on everything, in God we trust. That is what the founders of America believed in and that is what led to such an incredible society. Now today, that whole idea is falling apart, the whole in God we trust. Every moral and every ethic that we have, every part of society is completely unraveling. People are gender confused. Every single idea of, oh now the whole idea of euthanasia, the whole idea of the value of life, all of these ideas are being heatedly debated and the country is dividing. There's certain places where everybody thinks one way, everybody thinks another way and it's dividing. And you see how this is exactly what is falling apart. When the morals fall apart, everything falls apart. So this idea ends off with three simple and clear rules of what we need to have in society today. Every society must have to have the most revolutionary idea, which Moshe is telling us in this week's Parsha, is this is the secret to have a civilization and an empire that will never fall apart. Which if you think about it in history, it has never happened before. How to build a country and how to build a civilization that will never unravel, that will never have its downfall. History has told us that no empire will ever do that. But Moshe is telling us that it is possible and this is what we need to do. Number one, never forget where you came from. Number two, never drift from your foundational principles and ideals. What does that mean? That is by recognizing that there's a power that is greater than ourselves. Because if we leave things up to our minds, we will always drift away. I'll give you a random example. Well, someone once wrote into the Rebbe a letter, this idea. And he said to the Rebbe, why is it that we can't rely on human intellect? Why do you have this idea that you have to have faith in God? Is it just a cop-out? Because people say that faith in God in a big way, sometimes it sounds like it's hard. Oh, you have to be so observant. We have to have by a sukkah. We have to go crazy on Pesach. We have to go davening three times a day. It sounds like being observant is very difficult. But a lot of people say it's the opposite. It's, a, it's just a fake way to comfort ourselves, to think that there's a God to make ourselves feel better. But really, without God, that's a much scarier world. The idea of atheism is much more difficult than being observant, believing in something higher. So he said to the Rebbe, maybe you guys have this whole, you know, faith, religion, whatever, just to make you guys feel better. And that's how cults happen. People want to believe in something. They'll believe anything. So the Rebbe said, I'll tell you about a civilization that was the most successful, powerful, dominant empire of the time. The Germans... They were the best in science, the best in art. They were the best in the world in all these different areas. And they turned into the Nazis. They turned into the Holocaust. Because when the human being is left alone to allow his mind to wander, any idea can be made logical and any idea can be made sensical. So it makes sense to say, oh, we need to have a perfect society and therefore we'll have an Aryan race. 
and the Aryan race should be the only race that should live, and every other race should be exterminated, so that we have a good place to live. Which, by the way, just bringing this in, I brought this a few times, but I'll never forget this ever, because I was so shocked by it. I sat down with a class of students by, I forgot what, oh, it was before Pesach. I sat down with a class of students in one of the programs here in Israel, and I said to them, why do you think, there's a movie that came out recently called uh, Marvels, The Avengers, okay? And the bad guy in the movie basically wants to get all these like special stones. The long story short, he wants to snap his fingers and wipe out, wipe out half of civilization. He wants to solve the issue of overpopulation. And he says, if I just snap my fingers, no one's gonna die. They're just gonna disappear. And then we'll have half the people in the world. And we'll do that every hundred years just to make sure the world doesn't get too congested. And that's what's needed to happen. Somebody, and he always talks about how somebody needs to make this decision. I'm the one who makes the decision. So I said to them, because this movie is huge. I said to them, do you think there's anything wrong with what he's saying? Because they're actually, the class was in Tel Aviv, okay? And it was like when one of those really cramped, like, you know, Tel Aviv, where you're coming into the building, into the parking lot, and you feel like your car is for sure gonna hit the sides of the garage and that experience. So I said to them, don't you look outside your window right now, and you think the world is too cramped. If we cut the whole thing in half, there'd be more space or whatever, and nobody would get hurt. I'm not saying anybody's gonna die. We're not gonna, God forbid, exterminate people. They're just gonna snap our fingers and they disappear. Is there anything wrong with that? Not one kid, teenagers, not one kid in the room had an answer to that question. So I said to them, there's no answer to this question other than God. You can't say to yourself logically, that's not a correct solution. If logically we're gonna sit down and debate, oh, why should we not wipe out half of society? It makes sense to say, okay, this is what needs to happen. So somebody has to make the call. We'll do a raffle and half and half. But God comes and says that life is essentially invaluable and infinite and there's nothing that can ever go against that. That's God, that's faith. And the last rule, which really connects to the first two, is that a society is as strong as its faith. Because like I said previously, and I really got into the third rule because I got excited, is that God is what keeps all of our values intact. All of these things to prevent us from anarchy, treachery, honoring each other, helping each other, doing the right thing even if nobody's looking. Those things are only God. If I only believe in human power, then I'm only going to do the right thing when somebody else is going to see. When it's going to go viral on, on, online as a politician, then I'll do the right thing if somebody's taking a video. But if nobody's looking, why should I do the right thing? It's only God, which is the famous kids uh, show they had where the guy wants to steal something from somebody else and he asks the cow. They had this puppet show when I was a kid of like these Jewish ideas that they wanted to show you. So the guy asks the cow, he says, cow, tell me if you see anybody coming. So the guy goes up the ladder to steal from the other person's tree. And as he's going up, the cow says, someone's coming. And the guy comes running down. He's like, who's coming? He says, oh, he just left. He just left. Okay. And then the guy goes back up and the cow says, someone's coming again and again. And basically the cow tells him, always God is watching. The guy was saying, keep a lookout to make sure nobody coming. And the cow is telling him, make sure that basically God is always there. Which I could say, the video was obviously very effective because I never forgot that video. This idea, just to bring out in one more practical sense, this idea, in the 17th century, the Chinese were overtaken by Europe society. China was always extremely powerful and they were the most powerful society of the time. And Europe overtook China in the 17th century. So there was a guy named Neil Ferguson who wanted to figure out how did this happen? How did Europe surpass China? Because that was a moment in history, like I don't know necessarily if we've seen it so much in our lifetime. In our lifetime, America has been the dominant force. We haven't seen yet, even though it seems to be creeping up a little bit, America be surpassed by another superpower. America is still considered the police of the world, all that stuff. So he wanted to figure out how did Europe pass them. And he said, we sat down in China and we thought about it. And we thought maybe it's their weapons. 
The European weapons were more advanced at the time. So they thought maybe it's your weapons that beat us. Maybe it's your, your, your brains that beat us. Maybe you're smarter than us. And he said, we came to the conclusion that the reason why Europe surpassed China is because of the Judeo-Christian values, because of religion, because of faith rising in Europe. That we concluded is the reason why you beat us. Because China didn't have faith. A guy named Neil Ferguson. So that's just the practical way of seeing the application of faith in civilization. Now I want to end off with telling you a completely separate idea of how faith impacts you as an individual. Why faith is so important, just as you as a person, society aside. Because civilization, we can sit here and talk, whatever, and then BB's never going to listen to us. But we can talk about our individual life. <laughs> our individual life and what we need for us. So let me tell you a story. There was a chazin, there was a cantor. His name was Joseph Malovani. I hope I pronounced his name right. He was a young boy who grew up in Tel Aviv. There was five people in his family. They lived in a one and a half bedroom apartment. They were extremely poor. But at a very young age, they realized that Joseph had an unbelievable musical talent. His voice, his sense for music, it was off the charts. It was to such an extent that at eight years old, his mother sold her engagement ring to be able to buy a piano and put a piano in this one and a half bedroom apartment. This boy, by the time he was nine, they were asking him to lead the services as much as he could, a boy under bar mitzvah. By the time he was 12, he was doing high holiday services. By the time he was 19, he was leading the services in the Bilu Synagogue in Tel Aviv. Then he was offered to become the cantor in Yeoville, in Johannesburg, South Africa, in a big shul. And then Edgware Synagogue in London came calling and he became the cantor of one of the most prominent synagogues in the world. At that time, him and his wife had a child, their first child, whose name was Zevi. Zevi was a highly autistic child and obviously it was a huge challenge for them. And he was autistic to the point that they weren't able to themselves be able to take care of them in their house and they had to put him in a facility in London. Six years later, he was called by Fifth Avenue Synagogue in Manhattan to be their main cantor. He took the job, but he had to leave Zevi behind in this facility. In 1989, he went by dollars to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, where the Lubavitcher Rebbe would give out Sunday dollars every Sunday for hours, people would come by, get a dollar, and that was a way of the Rebbe encouraging people to do one small act, giving a dollar to charity. So this was a time where people got generally a very, very, very short amount of time because the line was long, people were hurried along and there was someone standing there, but you got a little bit of a moment to ask for something. So when he gets to the front, him and his wife, they get to the front, and right away, the rabbi asks him who he is. He says, Joseph Malavani. He says, oh, first of all, the rabbi tells him how incredible it is that you use your talent and your voice to inspire people for Judaism and how unbelievable it is and that you should know that that mission in life is something you cannot imagine. Just your voice, people sitting there and hearing you sing and the way their soul lights up. First, the rabbi congratulated him for that, but then he asked him, how's your family? So Joseph said, I have a son, Zevi, my oldest son, who's still in London. And we go and visit him, we're going to visit him soon, but I'd like a blessing for him. And he said, my son is autistic and it's hard for us to communicate with him and everything, I'd like a blessing. So the rabbi told him, number one, something you should know is in general, children who are special needs, while they're not busy with people, they're busy with God. And they actually have a higher spiritual connection to God because of that reality. That was number one, the rabbi told him. Number two, was the Rebbe said, when you do something, when you encourage Judaism in his life, that will be an anchor for him. If you take something as simple as a charity box and you put it in his room, which the Rebbe told him the facility is going to allow it because a charity box they'll allow, other religious objects they may not appreciate, 
but a charity box they will allow in the facility, the rabbi assured him, then it will give him an anchor and something to latch onto to be able to experience the outside world. And he said, you know, it's very interesting when we actually taught him, we tried to teach him the blessings on eating food and drinking water. We tried to teach him those blessings. All of a sudden, then we got through to him. And when he gave him the tzitzit and he made the blessing on the tzitzit, he got very excited. So we'll try the charity box. Sure enough, two and a half years later in 1991, he comes back and he says, we put the charity box in his room. We explained to him what it is. He said, ever since then, he's been much more communicative, much more responsive. Something about having an anchor, having a place that takes your core and makes you feel safe, that is what the idea of faith brings. And the Rebbe wrote this in a letter to a doctor. Let me see his name over here. A doctor, Robert Wilkes from Coney Island Hospital. The Rebbe wrote a very lengthy letter. I'm not going to go into the full letter and the extent of the letter. But writing a letter about how as human beings, meaning this was applied to a case of a child who was autistic, but as human beings, we need an anchor. We need a place where we say, this is where we are. This is something we could always come back to. And we don't even realize as people who generally, if you grew up in a religious home, how much faith does for you, how it makes your psyche feel when you know that you have a place, a safe space that you can always go back to. Actually, it's funny. Just yesterday we were, we met someone. I'm not going to say his name because he didn't give me permission to tell the story. So I'll say we met someone on the piano and he was telling us how he's so excited for the Yamim Norayim. And I was wondering, I was like, listen, I grew up in a Chabad community. Generally speaking, people were not like, it's a different mentality. Like Elul is a whole different, you see how each sect of Judaism focuses a different way. Elul is like a time where you're very intense and you're doing teshuva and this and that. And the Sfardim, they have um, slichot every morning. He was saying how he's so excited for the Yom Narayim. Why? Because when he grew up, his father was the cantor in the shul. And he would come every time to shul and he heard his father be the cantor. It's something that he'll never forget. And every year when the Yom Narayim come, he said, this is his favorite time of year. He gets so excited and so happy to be in shul, even though his father is no longer with us. To him, that time is something special. So just ending off with a simple idea of which the Rebbe wrote in the letter to this man, which I think really applies to all of us. And we realize this, we don't even like, we're not so aware of it, but when you say it, then you realize how much faith and religion does for us. The Rebbe said, I have seen, meaning he was speaking to this doctor and he wanted to prove to him his idea. The Rebbe said, I have seen that my followers, they do something called mitzayim, which means when it comes to doing a mitzvah, there's the famous tefillin, putting on tefillin with people. But then when it comes to any holiday, they go around and they try to get people to do mitzvot. For Hanukkah, they give out Hanukkiyot, menorahs, uh, chocolate gelt and dreidels. Every holiday, they do something to go on the streets and to inspire people. So the Rebbe told them, I got a report back from my followers that I encouraged them to go to nursing homes and hospitals with the lulav and etrog on Sukkot and ask people if they want to make the blessing on lulav and etrog. And he said, I heard a report that there was patients in nursing homes that were completely senile, completely unresponsive, but when they saw the lulav and etrog, all of a sudden their eyes lit up and they didn't even, they were not responding to anyone, their family members, their spouses, their children. They were completely out of it but all of a sudden, the love and a drogue, they lit up and they excitedly grabbed it and they made the blessing by heart. And I'll tell you the truth, I have seen this myself. It's not even a story that when I heard this, I right away remembered. When I was in Argentina in Buenos Aires for two years in yeshiva over there, they sent us on Purim to go and be misameach, the elderly in nursing homes. And these nursing homes, I will say, as a spoiled American kid, that these nursing homes were like, this was like Yehupitzville, middle of nowhere, Argentina, like you can't even imagine. Okay? So we get to these nursing homes and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know how anybody here is Jewish. This was like two hours away from Buenos Aires. I'm like, I don't think anybody here is Jewish. 
It was like really, you know, it smelled, it was a weird atmosphere. I'm like, you know, get me out of here. I was a young kid. I'm like, this is not. And I had a friend who I went with who was an amazing violin player. Amateur, never like professional, but an amazing violin player. Like really, violin has a certain way of like pulling on your heartstrings. So he gets up in front of the whole nursing home. They gather them. They say, oh, there's visiting rabbis. They gather them and he gets up and he starts playing the tune of Eifin Pripachik without singing the words. He did not sing the words of Eifin Pripachik. He was playing the tune of Eifin Pripachik on the violin. I kid you not, I will never forget this. I kid you not, the whole nursing home starts singing Eifin Pripachik. Every word, they knew the whole thing. And these people looked like, I'm telling you, if you haven't been to a nursing home in this type of area, you can't imagine. It was a very depressing atmosphere. People did not look, you know, it was pretty crazy. When they heard Eifin Pripachik, just the tune, you saw them, like literally their whole being was lit up. And I realized that something about faith, something about our religion, the customs, like we say, right? Why do you say customs in a way are more important than the laws themselves? Obviously, we're not saying that we're coming along and we're making the religion what we want and we're changing the religion, God forbid. But a custom, sometimes when a holiday comes along and your family has this and this custom that your family did, and maybe it's not even a custom all Jews do, but your father, your mother like to do this little thing, that is what makes us who we are. That is what gives our heart the warmth and the happiness of what it means to be Jewish, what it means to be connected to God, what it means to have faith. So when we tap into this, and we realize from this week's Torah portion, when Moshe is telling us, trust me right now, you're going to be successful. I believe in you. You're an amazing nation. You're going to go into Israel. You're going to build the piano. You're going to build Ir Yamim. You're going to build Renana, Yerushalayim, Tel Aviv, all these different amazing places. Do not forget where you come from. Do not forget who is the one who is giving you all the success. Never forget. And I have to say, I will say, from looking around this community, just the fact that people made Aliyah, that people took the leap to live in Israel, you feel something different. There's a different atmosphere in the air. And I'm not putting down other people who may be listening to this in America or whatever, but when you, in America in general, the way of living is that we're only living to live the most comfortable and convenient life that we have. But when you move to Israel, other than all the experiences that you definitely will have with the government and shopping in the grocery store and with your kupat cholim or whatever it is that are humbling experiences, you're taking a leap and saying that I'm, I'm submitting to a higher power. I'm realizing that faith is more important to me than just having the most convenient life possible. So when we tap into that and we remember that message and we internalize that message, faith can always be something, a safe space for us, an anchor for us forever and for our children and our children's children, God willing. Shabbat shalom. Thank you, Asha.